This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Our guest today is Ted Douse. Ted's one of our partners at HITS and is our prosecutor on our team. Those of you who have listened to our previous podcast know a lot about Ted's background. His bio is on our webpage at hitsk9.net. Ted, if you want to do a quick introduction, give everybody a little background about you, and then we can talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I've been a lawyer for going on 28 years, and my entire career has been with the Broward State Attorney's Office as a prosecutor, and uh, the last 22 of which has been in our upper-level narcotics drug trafficking unit, which led me into the areas of search and seizure and motions to suppress, and then obviously have deviated into the area of narcotics search and seizure related to drug dogs and been a part of uh, two United States Supreme Court arguments, teams of lawyers that argued on behalf of the use of the dog in United States versus Harris and United States versus, or excuse me, Florida versus Harris and Florida versus Jardines. Um, Jardines, dog sniffing houses, and Harris being dog reliability. So uh, besides writing a book, Canine in the Courtroom, and lecturing all across the country, state, and federal for the past oh, 10 to 15 years, um, you could say that I have a good pulse on uh, canine search and seizure uh, related to law enforcement. So uh, sure. kind of makes me a, a, a popular guy. <laughs> and today we were looking at different cases and figuring out different subjects. And you came across a case that uh, deals a lot with tracking, which uh, we don't talk that much about. You know, we do a lot of stuff about canine search and seizure with drug dogs and, and uh, that type of stuff, but not a whole lot of, of stuff that we talk about when it comes to tracking and reliability. So with that, I'll let you uh, kind of introduce this case and we'll talk about any questions I have. Yeah, we had discussed it. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. We talk a lot about for our canine handler listeners, uh, narcotic search and seizure and the fourth amendment and et cetera. So for our single purpose handlers and dual purpose handlers, it, it seems like a lot of the stuff, at least when you talk to me on podcasts and things is about, um, narcotics so we dug something up for the dual purpose handler or the single purpose patrol handler um in the area of law is when my dog is utilized to find something and i'll call it tracking um how can that be utilized in court is it of any value in court what would my testimony look like it uh, be in court to where i can talk about you know um where my dog was utilized, how my dog was utilized, the track that it was on, um, and the thing, what are the things the court are going to look for if a prosecutor calls me as a patrol dog handler who is tracking a suspect or maybe looking for a missing person or something that develops into a crime, is that, and you want that dog uh, sniffing the scent and following the track uh, or the trail, how do I get that into evidence? And it's a unique area of the law because there's not a whole lot of law on it that comes up regularly. So I thought this would be an interesting subject to bring out there because there's two cases down here in Florida that talk about it. And one is really recent. It came out in December of 2018 and it affirms a case, the theory that we've been using here in Florida that came out in 
2005 that I lectured on or used to lecture on a lot. Um, the old case is, uh, is the state McCray versus the state of Florida. Uh, that's the 2005 case. And it was reaffirmed as in saying that's still good law in 2018, in December 2018, in a case called Gear, which is G E A R. So it's the state, um, Gear versus the state of Florida. Uh, two Florida appellate court cases. So, um, you know, hold on to your hats. This will be short, succinct, and to the point. But if you want to grab a pen or a piece of paper, if you're a patrol dog handler, some of the things that really come out in this particular case, and there'll be two interesting cases for you because they're both two different style of dogs uh, because one is a Malinois case, that's McCray, and one is a Bloodhound case, which is Gear. And although they're similar, they're a little different, um, but the court said that um, the introduction of the dog's abilities and olfactory senses in, the, in each case was pertinent to the case and admissible in the case. So um, talk about McRae real quick from 2005. Um, McRae was probably what you want to call your traditional use of a patrol dog case. Um, there was a crime. There was contact where a civilian or someone saw the person um, at, you know, jump a fence or do whatever. And so therefore they could lead the handler. Um, the handler came out within a short time delay of the crime itself and then started from that point and tracked the suspect, uh, through a neighborhood and eventually finding him hiding. I think it was either under a shed or behind a wall or something along that line. And so basically it was point of crime, last contact visually seen, and then tracking the suspect that was hiding that committed the crime. Um, Gear on the on the flip side, uh, the 2018 case, um, similar but different, a bloodhound, but came out two days after the fact. And the bloodhound was, uh, the handler was given some basic information uh, about last point of contact, and they actually gave the dog, uh, you know, like a skull cap, a knit cap, that the defendant had been wearing. So I guess they got the scent off that from like, you know, two days ago. And, and he said, Hey, they were last seen in this area and they went, you know, around this tree or something like that. And they had a physical altercation. He and a woman that he ends up killing. And, uh, they were having this argument. He was shoving her and pushed her into this tree. And then, you know, they went around the tree and I lost sight of them. And, um, so believe it or not, the police had gone in there uh, they had found her body, um, and they found the defendant. And then two days later, they wanted to use the bloodhound to kind of really article search, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, if I use that term correctly, yeah. Uh, what evidence might be out there that the bloodhound could find. And so they didn't tell And the second one's a little different than the first. They didn't tell the handler much about other than, um, here, sniff this object. It belonged to the defendant. And this was the last scene, you know, around this area of the tree was the physical altercation where both people were seen. And that's all they told him. And take us along the way. They did not tell him where the body was found. And they did not tell him where in the woods that they had found the defendant. He was able to track the dog or the dog. The dog was able to track to the area where the body was found. And from the body was able to track the scent of the bad guy to where the bad guy was found, which, you know, correlates, I guess you could say that, you know, obviously the bad guy was, you know, 
by scent was in relation to the area proximity of the body. And uh, along the way, they were found certain articles um, that were associated both with the victim and both with the defendant. They found a few articles on the track, let's just say from that tree, the point of sight to where the body was found. And they found some articles of clothing and things of that nature that had not originally been discovered. And then they found some articles related to the defendant from where the body was found to where the defendant was found hiding. And they, um, the bloodhound was um, introduced into, not the dog, but the use of the bloodhound was introduced <laughs> into the, the trial about how they work and what they did and where he found. And, of course, I think this is the proper term, um, if you want to correct me, Jeff. But, I mean, it was the bloodhound usage was blind to the handler. Correct. It was. It sounded like it was a, a blind search. Right. So, it, to kind of boil it down, it's two interesting perspectives of the same style of evidence utilized in two different aspects. Um, you know, one being kind of rolling up onto the crime. It occurred. You know, it's a time delay of twenty minutes versus two days. You got bloodhound versus mouth. You've got tracking a physical suspect that you're actually going to find. Um, versus article searching blind to see if there what other evidence of the crime that they could actually discover. And they also verified the search pattern in the sense of, you know, that the man in the dead body went to point X and then the, the man being the defendant went from X to Y um, because the dog laid that track blind to the handler. Um, and all that evidence was there two days ago. So it was kind of interesting. So what you ask yourself in this particular podcast. So Ted, why do you put this on the podcast? Well, you know, what does the court in these two cases, and they both allowed that evidence to come in and the person got convicted in both cases. What's the court want to do? And what are the criteria that the, that the judge is going to look at related to getting that evidence in? And believe it or not, they want you to talk a little bit, it doesn't have to be extensive, but a little bit about the breed of dog. You got to remember one thing when you go into court is that 90% of the people in the courtroom, whether it's the bailiff, the judge, the clerk, the two lawyers, the people sitting in the audience, the defendant, the jury, um, they may have some dog knowledge, but it's probably their poodle or their yeah. chihuahua, yeah. or their something or other. And, you know, those breeds are not <laughs> conducive to what we just discussed. So they, believe it or not, the case law says, you know, tell us a little bit about the breed of the dog. It doesn't have to be extensive, but explain why your Malinois does what it does and why it's good at it, as opposed to uh, tell us why the bloodhound is good what it does, it does what it does, as opposed to the dachshund. <laughs> then it says, sure. tell us about its initial training. So how was it trained? How does a dog know to article search? How does a dog tell us about skin cells and things of that nature that fall off a person that's running or their scent that, you know, when you become um, trying to excited or whatever it is that you give off, you sweat harder or whatever. And that scent is more prevalent in someone that's panicking and running and how the dog can pick up on those things. Yeah. Um, so how does the dog work? How do you train it to do it? Um, and then, you know, once you're in service, they want to hear about maintenance training. What do you do every Wednesday night? How many tracks do you do? How do you, how do you test your dog on a regular basis? What's your maintenance training consist of? They also want to hear about past performance. Tell me about the real world. How many times you use your bloodhound? How many times you deploy your Malibuah to chase a suspect or find a suspect? How successful are they? Now, they're not asking for a ratio, 
but they want, you know, don't come out and say my dog's 67%, you know, great. That's not what they're looking for. But they want to know that your dog, when deployed, has been successful in finding the man, finding the articles, doing the things. Now, you don't have to, again, you don't have to, the terminology in the cases are, you know, usually successful. The most of the time the successful or has been yeah. successful multiple times in the past, or they even use the term one time, the majority of the time in the past. So I think the, the one guy said, I deployed my dog 20 times. And his answer to the question was, and the majority of the time my dog has been successful. Uh, they found that to be acceptable, uh, that style of answer. Um, so they want to hear past performance. Things you also want to consider in the case, especially for the Malinois case, um, because it's obviously going to be critical. I want to hear about the perimeter. Where was it established? Who was where? Where did you put people? Why was that done? Was the perimeter ever breached? Was it ever contaminated? Was the track ever contaminated? And you, that's why you talk about perimeters. The average juror, you know, probably wouldn't think about, well, I put a police officer, you know, road patrol two or three blocks away here and two or three blocks away there. Uh, I created a box so that the civilians were told to yeah. stay in their house and nobody came in there so that I had a, uh, what's the word I want to say? Maybe pristine is probably not the right word, but you know, I had a, an, an uncontaminated track as best as I could to go from the Seven Eleven, you know, across three or four blocks and find the guy hiding in the shed. Uh, they want to hear that. That was actually brought out in that McCray case. So and those I know that so on those on those a, a great thing too is that that perimeter can also say that this dude didn't just happen to walk in while you're doing the search too. So oh, one hundred percent. That's a very good point. So, yeah. yeah. So that yeah, that's opposite. You've kind of boxed him in on one aspect of it, and you're exactly correct. It, this wasn't. Uh, and of course, you know, you're going to find him. His heart's palpitating. He's probably sweating. You know, and it, of course, you know, the logical aspect, you know, you can have a day deployment as a logical or a night deployment. For me as the civilian lawyer, yeah. I always think about the night deployment and, you know, who's hiding underneath the shed in the backyard of an unknown neighbor who he doesn't live there uh, at 2 a.m. when the police are out looking for somebody and who generally meets the basic description of the guy that you know, was just yeah. talked about that jumped the fence and robbed the liquor store or something like that. Um, yeah. So that's our guy type of thing. So, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting because you don't get a lot of law in this area. Um, they talked a lot about two, which was tell the jurors and the judge um, how the dog actually operates. So, like in my world, and and Jeff, I know you at one point in time you've handled narcotics and patrol. You know, we talk about change of behavior related to narcotics. It's you know, rapid breathing yep. and uh, mouth open, mouth closed, ears, tail, whatever, uh, head throw, scent cone bracketing. Well, give all that type of terminology, which is different, but, you know, like they talked about, well, my dog became excited when he was in odor. And then they talked, both of these officers talked about how the dog dragged them or pulled them in a certain direction, which means that in their world, that the dog was on task and on odor and it was driving and searching and, and leading him and pulling him in this direction that, the, you know, the dog is in doing it. And then of course it says when it came to the, if certainly in the, um, in the finding the guy hiding in the shed underneath wherever it was in somebody ran a person's backyard that the dog finally got to source uh, of the track and started barking aggressively um, indicating that, you know, Hey, this is, 
this is who we're looking for and this is where yeah. he is. And all those types of whatever it is that your dog does, I'm not a tracking guy. I'm just a lawyer. Um, but those change of behaviors that you see that your dog does, you know, I can think of some as probably logical. And Jeff, you can probably throw in a few yeah. for me here. But, you know, like his nose is really low to the ground or something like that. And he, You talk about either hunt drive or prey drive, whichever one is really applicable to a tracking scenario. Um, talk about those things because it's going to make a difference. I think this is a great subject because I think, um, as we mentioned earlier, we talk a lot about this, especially with drug dogs. But, you know, lots and lots of uh, police dogs are finding bad guys every day and we don't go to court. You know, I've found hundreds of bad guys and haven't ended up in court really testifying to this type of stuff. But it's always good to be ready when when you're challenged that way. Well, yeah. So and you so think good. of it like this is that it's good. You know, you don't need the track in court when you got a camera that catches the guy and of course he's wearing the same clothes and he's the same um you know he's a caucasian male and he's got a baseball cap and a pittsburgh pirate yeah. shirt on and you know and then you know i don't know 20 minutes later you find a guy you know underneath somebody's backyard and a uh, underneath hiding somebody's deck and he's the, it's the guy yeah and of course yeah. and then probably the you know got him on video and the clerk picks him out of a, some kind of a up or a line up and says that's the guy well you're pretty good but how about when you don't have video the clerk gives you a really basic description like oh jeans and a white t-shirt yeah. and he's a uh i don't know latin male and i don't know he's yeah. probably five four to five eight you know yeah. <laughs> you know there's yeah. a lot yeah. of those probably in certain areas oh, of the yeah. country yeah. and then but and the guy says here's the classic it looks like him <laughs> yeah um yeah. And you, you maybe you get a fingerprint from the counter, but then what's the defendant yeah. going to say? Well, I live in the area and yeah. I shopped there yeah. last night. Yeah. I bought a you know I don't know a six pack of Miller Lite, yeah. and that's my fingerprint from two days ago when I bought my six pack of Miller Lite or something. But yeah. when you now you look at it from the standpoint of the prosecutor, now I have that fresh track, I have that fresh odor. I have, you know, I've got point of contact. I had, you know, uh, and then my dog did all these things in the perimeter and I found the guy hiding underneath there and you kind of got some good evidence and some mediocre identification that tracking and finding and going from point A, the location of the crime to five blocks away, point B, the guy hiding in some random person's backyard. That's a critical piece of circumstantial evidence that the dog did what it did and basically sure. you know the scent is the scent that followed the scent and that's the guy that was standing in front of the 7-eleven clerk robbing him 20 minutes ago so um that's critical in a mediocre identification case yeah so the lesson here is you know just keep your keep your training up of course and keep your records up just as good on the the tracking records, which, uh, you know, so I think I've seen some handlers who they're pretty, pretty knowledgeable about the drug side of their dual purpose dog and pretty, pretty knowledgeable. I keep a good records for the bite side of their dog and then the tracking's kind of in, in the middle. So keep all that up, the training up to date, of course, and then keep your records up to date. So if yeah, you and here's one I can remember that uh, factor just popped in my head that I've seen some people training and since I've seen some real world deployments uh, a while ago in my career. But, um, you know, wind currents and when you, you get a lighter out of your pocket and you're trying sure. to pick up which wind, you know, make sure that you talk about these things. And here's a quick point, And we'll wrap this up as we hit the 20 minute mark here. But um, make sure what I've just told you, you write these factors down and have a quick 
you know, an hour session with your prosecutor and say, hey, make sure you cover A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and X, Y, and Z. I'll carry the ball across the, the, the goal line, but ask me about my training. Ask me about my weekly performance. Ask me about the dog's change of behavior. Ask me about wind currents. I can explain sure. all the things, perimeters, and then I'll take it across the, I'll spike the ball in the end zone. Um, but unless you get together with your prosecutor, uh, again, this is a really novel area for handlers. And I'm going to say it's really novel for a prosecutor. They're probably not real versed in, you know, the yeah. 10 or 12 areas that we talked about tonight and don't really know what to ask you or how to ask you or why they're asking you certain things. So if you get with them and you, you kind of spoon feed them where you want to go and what you want them to ask, um, it'll work Perfect. out so much better. Well, thanks, Ted. That's a that's a good case, and it's a little bit different twist on things. If you guys like uh, to hear more from Ted, come to HITS. We'll be in Chicago this year. HITS is the world's largest canine seminar. We're going to run five classes at a time. We'll have well over a 1,000 fellow handlers. We're law enforcement only, which is a little bit unique. We could probably have some more uh, people there if we if we weren't law enforcement only, but we know as as cops ourselves, we know that it's it's nice to be just – with fellow cops. So we'll have well over a thousand other handlers there, more than a hundred vendors. Uh, this year we're sponsored by Yukonuba. Ted will be teaching some classes there. We'll have lots of classes on all different subjects. Uh, all three days you'll stay, stay busy, get lots of networking, lots of, uh, uh, great contacts from all of our great vendors. So hits canine.net hits canine.net. We'll get you all the information, uh, show you our schedule, who we have teaching, uh, we change up, uh, teach some of the instructors every year, have some, some staple classes, and then also have new ones every year. So check out, uh, if you haven't been to HITS before, you'll see all new stuff. If you've been to HITS as recently as last year, you're going to see that there's a lot of new stuff this year to come to HITS. So check us out at hitsk9.net. And as always, if you have any feedback or have any questions for me, you can reach me at jeff at hitsk9.net. So my email is jeff at hitsk9.net. And Ted is easy to reach also. His is ted at hitsk9.net. So for uh, myself and Ted, I appreciate everybody listening. And from those of us at Hits, we hope we see you in Chicago. Ted, thanks for your uh, uh, class today and look forward to the next one. All right. Thank you very much. And everybody out there, stay safe. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.